One day, Jesus went out and sat by a lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Later he told his disciples, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that's sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since it has no root, it lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the one who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the one who hears the word and truly understands it. They produce a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Now, it's a familiar parable. You may have heard of this one before or maybe many times. It's one sower, four soils, four different receptions, and four different outcomes or responses. Now, in the first outcome, the soil is too hard. It's packed. It's like a hard heart. It doesn't receive the word, and the enemy comes and snatches it away. The seed becomes bird seed. In the second and third soil, there is a reception that takes place, but either the soil is too shallow with too little depth, or there's too much worry and greed that choke it out. In either case, the the seed doesn't bear much fruit. And as I read this, I think of the American church in many cases being that second and third soil where it, it springs up initially, but it doesn't go on to bear fruit, doesn't go on to reproduce itself. Whether it's because there's too little depth or too much worry or a terrible combination of both. And when I went through this passage most recently back in September in our Manning Together journals, I I wrote kind of in response to that third one, that third response. I said, God has revealed to us a way to live in obedience to him and to his word that protects our lives from the thorns and frees us up to be fruitful. Jesus is the best example of this and the proof that it actually works. And that leads us into the fourth reception. This is the soil, this is the good soil that is the open heart that receives and truly understands. This is the life without lack that we've been talking about. This is a fruitful life where the seed comes in, is received, goes down, sends deep roots, goes up and bears fruit that reproduces itself over and over in the lives of others. And so ironically, lavish love and generosity are the cure for lack that we've been talking about throughout this series. Lavish love and generosity towards those around us help us to overcome 
the deceitfulness of wealth and the greed that chokes out the fruitfulness that God desires for us to have. Now, I've been wanting to incorporate that in some way ever since I read that and journaled on that passage. And as many of you know, several weeks I went way over my time, so it's not like I had room to include that. And and today I went ahead and bit the bullet and went a little long in the first service. So, you know, buckle in. Uh, We might might go a little over today, but I think it's going to be okay. Because we're kind of concluding this series, and, and this is a perfect application. Do you want to hear and truly understand what we've been talking about and actually live a life without lack increasingly going forward like the fourth soil or will one of the other three be the outcome for you? If you've missed a message, there's ways that you can pick up and and hear that. This is the sixth in a series of six, so this is our final day. If you missed one or two, please go and find it on our YouTube channel. Go to our Facebook page. You can go to our app. You can find it on a, on a computer. Just go to our website in the sermons tab. And in week one, we talked about what's available to us. We looked at this opening statement of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That tells us three important things. It tells us who God is. He's our shepherd, who we are to him. We are the sheep of his pasture and what is available to us. And so that got us started. Then in week two, we had to talk about the source of lack. We had to talk about why we're even discussing a life without lack and why so many, even believers, live lives so filled with lack. And so we went all the way back to Genesis and to the garden and to the the fall and to the roots of temptation that were passed on to us through that original sin. But we also looked at God's glorious and gracious solution to sin and temptation in the person of Jesus Christ and what was accomplished for us through him. And then these last three weeks, we've been looking at what we're calling keys to a life without lack. Things like trust in God, death to ourselves, and agape love. As Dallas Willard has said in his book, Life Without Lack, faith or trust, death to self, and agape love support our Psalm 23 lives, that we can actually live Psalm 23 lives where everything that that psalm says is true about us. They do so in a triangle of sufficiency. And so you see this triangle on the screen and how as we trust more and more in God, we die to ourselves and we live lives of love. This is a triangle of sufficiency. As we do each one, we can begin anew and grow in this cycle of finding that God is everything that we need. And therefore, we can live a life without lack. And last week, I asked for feedback from people, and I got some. I got some people that, that responded, and they, they told me what God had been saying to them. They talked about their key takeaways. They talked about which level of engagement they had, had pursued and how that went for them. And it was great to hear and great to read and, and to see things like people talking about peace growing in their lives and experiencing more and more peace even in the midst of difficulties and trials. Things like contentment and satisfaction were, were regular in those responses, that people were experiencing more of that, that there hadn't been some great change in their circumstances, but there had been a significant shift in their experience of their circumstances. And I think that's what we're talking about here. One person even said that, that God's presence in their life had become so much more real. And they realized that they had not been aware of how close and how present and how constant he was with them. 
And so this week we conclude this series with a message titled, All the Days of My Life. And if you're familiar with this beloved psalm, you know that that's in the final verse. It's saying that God's goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives. And so I want to talk about living a life without lack. As we do so, we'll start with this 23rd Psalm as we have uh, each week. And, and then I want to look at a, a short commentary, verse by verse or phrase by phrase, that Dallas Willard uh, included in his book on this Psalm. But David begins with that affirmation that we've already talked about once, that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On this beloved psalm, verse by verse, uh, phrase by phrase, Willard points out that this is where we put into practice these words that we believe are true. Pastor Zach shared in the opening this morning, we actually believe that these words are true. They're not just good ideas. They're actually true. And that means that they can be truth in us and they can lead us into the truth. And so when David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, in other words, we are in the care of someone else. We're not in charge. We've taken our kingdom and surrendered it to the kingdom of God. We're living the with God life. The Lord is my shepherd. What flows from that? The next phrase, I lack nothing. That's the natural result. I shall not lack anything. That's what Jesus teaches. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What kind of sheep likes down in a green pasture? It's a sheep that has eaten its fill. If a sheep is in a green pasture and she's not full, she'll keep on eating. She won't be lying down. He leads me beside quiet waters. This is a sheep that is being led besides quiet waters. Is a sheep that is not thirsty. Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water, this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. For the water that I give shall give them, will become in them a fountain of water, springing up to everlasting life. When David writes, he refreshes my soul. The broken depths of my soul are healed and reintegrated in a life in union with God. It's the eternal kind of life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. The effect of the restoration of my soul is that I walk in the paths of righteousness on his behalf as a natural expression of my renewed inner nature. As I walk these paths, my trust in the shepherd runs so deep that I can declare, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You see, a life without lack is one that carries no fear of evil. For our confidence in God soars far above our wants and fears. Would you like to live a life without fear? A life of soaring faith? It seems like Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, fear not, fear not. Imagine what it would be like. No fear of life, of aging or death, no fear of disease or hunger, no fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. You can live a life without fear, even in the midst of a world dominated by fear. Willard says, I could have easily chosen Fear No Evil as this book's title. 
because we're talking about a life from which fear has been eliminated. While the psalmist clearly knows about life's dangers, he can say, I will fear no evil. Why? Because of the next line. You are with me. The central truth of this book is that the complete sufficiency of the life without lack is based upon the presence of God. And he is most clearly and fully present to us in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He continues to say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know from experience that the rod and staff represent the shepherd's strength and protective care. In this safe place where I have no fear, I am at liberty to enjoy the overwhelming generosity of my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Since I love my enemies, I would not feast upon a delicious meal in their presence and let them stand there hungry. So this means that the abundance of God's provision and safety in my life is so great that I would invite them to enjoy that what God has prepared for me. You anoint my head with oil. Now here you can think of hot showers and warm fluffy towels and things that make us feel clean and comfortable and special and how God makes this possible. He's not only interested in my having something wonderful to eat, but also in blessing me with a life that is full and free and powerful in him, including clothing, comfortable furnishings, joyful experiences, and deep relationships, so much so that the abundance of God's provision rings out in the psalmist's next words, my cup is full. Is that what it says? No. It says my cup overflows. It's not just full. I have more than my cup will hold. So much so that I can be as generous as my shepherd without fear of ever running out. So much so that I am convinced, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a description of the eternal life available to us now in the kingdom of the heavens. The abundant with God life that comes from following the shepherd where we dwell and abide with God in the fullness of his life a life in which all the promises of Christ's gospel are realized. Because of this, we have no reason to be anxious. The world is a perfectly safe place for us to be. So with that as a backdrop, with that as a springboard, I want to try to bring this to a close and, and, and focus on one very powerful statement in Scripture that contains a very clear promise for us. It comes in Hebrews chapter 13. Right at the end of this book of Hebrews, we're not even sure who the author of Hebrews is, but we know that whoever it was, it was God writing through them. Instructions to us yet today. And in this final chapter, there's one short statement after another, one short exhortation after another, and that's where we read in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The clear promise in this passage is that he is with us. God is with us. It is his presence that enables us to live a life without lack. It is his presence that gives us the freedom from fear, the freedom from greed, which greed is rooted in fear. Only people who are afraid of losing or not having enough are greedy. Those who are content and satisfied in God and his provision for their lives can be generous and do not have to be afraid. 
And so that is why I believe this passage says, keep your lives free from the love of money. It is the love of money that introduces all sorts of lack into our lives. When that's what we're pursuing, we never have enough of it. Paul wrote in his letter to Timothy, those who love money will never have enough of it. Even saying that it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, all kinds of lack. We talked about it in week two when we talked about the source of lack, that it is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life that opens up all kinds of insufficiency in our lives. When we are seeking those things instead of God's presence in our lives, then we are experiencing lack because those who love it will never have enough of it. And so along with that lack, along with that, that sense that we don't have enough, comes a all sorts of anxiety as well. This is the third soil that, that Jesus was teaching about in the parable of the soils. This is the one where the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this world choke out what God intended for us to have. And so that's why we see that, that lavish love and generosity is the cure for lack in our lives. It's the freedom from greed. That's why it says in the next phrase, be content with what you have. Contentment is the opposite of greed. And it is the source of freedom that when we are content with what we have, we don't have to always be striving for more and more and more. And we can be content with what we have because of who is with us, who is always with us. And so in verse 6, we say with confidence, early and often I would add, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We can say that at the beginning of the day as we begin our day with God. We can say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. When we go through the events of the day and things bring anxiety to us, we can say, wait a minute, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And at the end of the day, when we think back over the day and over the the day ahead, we can say again as our heads hit the pillow, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. It's worth saying. It's worth saying right now. So I want to encourage you. I want to ask you, let's say this together. Let's say it confidently. Let's say it with conviction. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. One, two, three. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. All right. You had the microphone this time. You don't have it this next time, okay? So we need some people to be loud and strong and convicted as they say this. I'm going to count you down and I'm going to be quiet. I want to hear you say this like you mean it. Three, two, one. Amen. Do you feel that? Do you, do you believe that? That God is your helper, that he's with you, that there is nothing to fear because you are safe and secure in his strong and unshakable kingdom? I would encourage you to put that in several places throughout your life. Maybe on your bathroom mirror, maybe in your car, maybe you put it on your phone to remind you throughout the day that the Lord is your helper, you do not need to be afraid. Because verse 5 tells us why we don't need to be afraid. Why that idea that the Lord is our helper is so powerful. It's when it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is a promise that God has given us. And you know what's interesting? If you look up where that's quoted from, it's quoted from Joshua 1.5. Do you know why that might be significant? Because Joshua 1.5 is right before Joshua takes over leading Israel from Moses and he leads the Israelites into where? The promised land. The promised land. And God says to Joshua, 
as they're about to go into the promised land, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You will lack nothing in that place because I will be with you wherever you go. And the people, the generation of Joshua believed that promise of God and they took every step with God and they believed that he was with them and he was for them and he would not forsake them. And they took the promised land. And I believe God is saying to us as well that when we go into our lives with him at our side, with our eyes set on him, like the author of Hebrews said in the chapter before, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that when we fix our eyes on him, we are walking into the promised land where he will never leave us or forsake us. And I had to look up that word forsake just to see what it meant. And I was so tickled when I read the definition of the word forsake. I can't make this stuff up. It was right there on the screen. I put it on the screen for you. To be forsaken means properly to be left in a condition of lack without. That's what it means. When God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he says, I will never leave you in a condition of lack. I will never leave you without You will never need to feel forsaken or helpless. You will never need to feel like you are in dire circumstance because I am with you. I am for you. He is with us. He will not leave us in a condition or a state of lack. And even and when we experience lack in our lives, it's because we've forgotten who's with us. It's because we need to be reminded that he is our shepherd, that he leads us beside quiet waters, that he helps us to lie down in green pastures, that he does all of these things for us. So when we experience lack in our lives, it's because we haven't come to him or because we've forgotten that he's with us. And so the question is, is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd on Sunday mornings from 1030 to 1130? And you walk in these doors and we sing some worship music and we listen to God's word and we see people smiling, we see friendly faces and and we lack nothing for that hour. And then we walk back out those doors and we kind of leave that behind us and we step into a world full of lack and we miss that experience for the next 167 hours and then we come back in, or like most American Christians, 1.2 times per month. (laughs) Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is that what David is talking about? Like one hour a week or one hour every couple weeks? Or is that available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 375 days, 365 days a year? I just added 10 to the the year. Talk about abundance, right? You see, if that's not true for you, If that's never been true for you, if you've never said the Lord is my shepherd, if you've never turned over your life to the care and control of Jesus Christ, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you take your first step with him. Today can be the day where you confess your sin. You repent and follow him. You turn away from your sin, you turn towards him, and you choose to grow with him for the rest of your life, to start a life without lack in Christ. You can't find it anywhere else. But maybe you would say, well, I know that that was true for me at one time. I know that I was following Jesus closely at one time and that I was experiencing what he's talking about in this life without lack, that I could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. But it's been a while or it's not very consistent. 
Maybe I stopped following. Maybe I stopped believing. Maybe I forgot what is really true about the gospel and that it's true every day, not just that one day. That eternity begins now, not when we die. That if we're going to live forever, that means we're not going to die. And so we begin eternity now. We begin the eternal kind of life now. We begin the life without lack now. It's available to us now. One person wrote in their feedback, I've fallen in love with Jesus again. I loved that. Somebody else said, his presence in my life has become real. Something I can feel. Something that's tangible. And those both point to what I had already written as the bottom line for this week, that life with God is life without lack. That life with God is life without lack. I really believe that it really is that simple. You might be thinking, that's kind of an underwhelming bottom line, Pastor Mark. But I think it's absolutely true. And here's why. What does God lack? Nothing. Nothing. Somebody said it back here. And what do we lack when we realize and remember and embrace the truth that he is with us and he is for us? Amen. Y'all can jump in on this too if you want. Yes, we lack nothing when we remember and realize and embrace that he's with us and he's for us because he lacks nothing. So, what do we need to fear? Nothing. Right. Do you see the progression? Do you see that there's no off-ramps in that? God lacks nothing. What do we lack when we remember and embrace and realize the truth that he's with us and for us? Nothing. And what do we need to fear? Nothing. So think about this next one before you answer. What do I want you to do? It's not nothing. You know what I want you to do? Somebody was kind enough in the feedback to tell me, you know, there was a week or two there where you didn't really tell us what to do. You, you convinced us that it was true and it was possible, but you didn't tell us what you want us. Here's what I want you to do. And here's what I've been praying for you throughout the sanctuary for the last five weeks when I've touched every chair. And I've prayed for the person that's going to sit in that chair. And I've prayed for every empty chair to be filled one day in this church. I want you to live a life without lack. I want that for you so badly. I really believe it's possible. And I have begged God to pour out his spirit in such a way that every single person would begin to experience a life without lack and that it would become a regular thing for them to experience God's provision in their lives and his sufficiency in their lives in such a powerful way that they can say, I'm living a life without lack. I want this to be increasingly true for myself. And in the time since I read this book and got really serious about this and have memorized this psalm and have started quoting this psalm to every problem in my life, I have experienced less and less lack. It pops up every now and then, but I've developed these kind of yellow flags and red flags that alert me to the fact, you know, I'm experiencing a little bit of lack right now. What got wrong? Where did I depart from God's presence in my life? Sometimes it's just the tone and the questions that my wife asks me (laughs) that alerts me. Oh, wait a minute. There's something in my voice that is causing me to come across in in the way that I don't really want to come across. Sometimes it's just attention that starts to build, whether I'm driving or whether I'm working on something and it's not going the way I want and I can take a step back and I can remind myself and I can quote Psalm 23 to that situation, whatever it is, and begin to experience God's sufficiency in that. You see, I believe that this is actually God's vision for our lives. I don't think this is the world's vision for our lives. 
The world screams at us all day long, you lack this and this and this and this and this. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to get more money so you can have the stuff that you lack? How are you going to have more time? How are you going to have more pleasure? How are you going to have more of everything but God in your life? And I think God's vision for our lives is very, very different. It's a life of simplicity. It's a life where he is enough. It's a life of sufficiency in him. And I want to experience less and less lack in my life. And I want you to experience less and less, less lack in your life. And so as a, as a practical, tangible step, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to spend a whole day with Jesus. This is ma- the main point of chapter 8 in the book, Life Without Lack, is how to actually do it. There's some preliminaries. There's some things that you need to think through on how to actually do this. You've got to plan ahead. You've got to be intentional. You've got to decide, do I really want this? Do I even want to spend a day with Jesus? Or do I just want Jesus to kind of be my heavenly bellhop and, and fix a few little problems in my life and make my life a little bit better so that, you know, it's marginally improved? Or do I want to actually live a life without lack? That's an important question. And then a decision and a commitment that we would make. And then I liked this kind of section two as he's talking through this. He talks about here's what you can expect on a day with Jesus. You can expect strength to serve and follow him. You can expect peace and joy. You can expect confidence and contentment. You can expect a greater love for others. And then he actually goes through a plan of how to do this, what to do, how to do it. And so I want to encourage you to make this a priority. I know we sold about 65 of these books, way more than I thought we would sell. We still have a handful left. If you still need one, let me know. Uh, I can get you one. There's some out here or I can get you one. Or if you just like, I'm not going to buy the book. I know I'm not going to read the book, so I'm not going to buy the book. But I'd like to do this. I'll photocopy it for you. That's probably not 100% kosher. But I think if we sold 60-some books that we can photocopy one or two. I don't know. I won't put anybody on the spot on that. But I want you to make this a priority. I want you to plan ahead. I want you to schedule your day with Jesus and execute it. And then I'd really love for you to be able to make this a habit. Because if you can do it once then you can do it again, right? If you can do something once, you can do it again. And if you can do it twice, then you can do it four times. If you can do it four times, you can do it eight times. You can make a habit of this. We can begin to live a life uh, without lack. We can grow accustomed to it. We can recognize it when we're slipping away from it. We might have to adjust our priorities. We might have to adjust how we spend our time. We might have to adjust some boundaries in our lives. We might have to stop striving for all the things that the world tells us that we have to have so that we can experience the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. Willard comments on this. He says, As you practice living your days in the sufficiency of the Good Shepherd, you will make tremendous progress in experiencing the Psalm 23 life that Christ came to provide. You will see remarkable growth in all the good things Jesus desires to give us, a rich life of joy and power, abundant and supernatural results, with a constant clear vision of your never-ending life in God's world and an abiding sense of your work day by day, that will become the common yet extraordinary realities of your life. So I want to close with this prayer, this closing prayer. This is written by Dallas Willard, but I loved it so much. And I know we're quoting Willard a lot today, but, but this prayer is really good. And I want to put this in your hands. There's some on the seats. There's more on the tables as you leave. If this is something that you could pray at the end of the day that would help ingrain a life without lack, if you want to turn this into an opening prayer and pray it at the beginning of your day, this will be the closing to our time together today. So I invite the worship team to come back up.
And would you bow and pray this prayer with me? Gracious Lord, help us to see and understand with the eyes of faith and the mind you have given us your magnificent, glorious, self-sufficient being and the greatness of your kingdom into which we are invited. May we grasp the deep significance of the words, in him we live and move and have our being. And may we know that in the safest of places, in you, there simply is no lack. Open our eyes to the high privilege of being created in your image. Convince us that nothing makes you happier than seeing those redeemed by your grace, devoting their days to the good of other people and your creation. Win over our timid and doubting hearts with the conviction that we are your greatest treasure in all creation. Give us sober yet fearless awareness of Satan's ploys and deceits. Strengthen our hearts in the knowledge that we have nothing to fear, for you have defeated him. We are so glad to know that you are greater in us than he that is in the world. May our hearts carry that message as we contemplate the awesome reality of the spiritual battle around us. Tender Father, you've taught us so clearly that faith or trust is essential to a life without lack. We confess that while we believe in you, we need to believe more fully, more deeply, more constantly. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus showed us that you are completely and utterly trustworthy. And even in the shadow of death, there is nothing to fear, for you are with us. So bring us to the place of peace where we no longer feel a need to defend ourselves or to worry about what's going to take care of us or be recognized or to get our way or make sure things turn out right. Lord, free us through the knowledge that because you are with us, working in our lives, we have nothing to fear and everything we need. And now, with the truth of who you are deeply engraved in our hearts, give us the confidence and power to love all who are in our lives just as we are being loved by you, freely, fully, joyfully. Let your spirit move in our minds and hearts so we believe ever more fully that because you are our all-sufficient shepherd, we shall never want. We ask all this because we would have it no other way. In Jesus' name, amen.